Welcome to IC Interviews. My name is Alex Hamer. I'm the resources reporter here at the IC. In this episode, I spoke with Randy Smallwood, who runs Wheaton Precious Metals. It's a gold company, but it's not a miner. Last month, this $20 billion plus company announced it would list in London, giving investors here another major precious metals option. Wheaton has clearly outrun the gold price run this year, which is impressive in itself. Share price more than doubling and earnings coming up very strongly too. Welcome to the podcast, Randy. It's been a big year so far, hey? Yes, Alex. Uh, you know, uh, this is a good time for precious metals in, in, a, in, a, in a bit of a crazy world. Uh, precious metals are, are definitely one of the few bright stars. And so looking at the, the company generally, it's a bit different from other, other miners. In fact, isn't really a miner at all. You, you buy royalties and streams on mines and projects to reach production. I think your, your running total is about $9 billion spent on these so far. Why, why does the industry need a, a company like yours? Well, and you're right. We're not really a mining company. Um, you know, our our product and what we deliver to our shareholders is actually uh, uh, takes the best of a mining company, but uh, has a much lower risk profile than a traditional mining company. And so, so um, our business is to supply capital to the mining industry, uh, and the mining industry always needs capital. It continually needs to reinvest into itself, and and we supply that capital by buying the rights to a portion of the metal production from these mines. And uh, we really focus on, on, on only investing into the best mines. Uh, that means the mines that are delivering very high operating margins or operating profits to the operators and, uh, and ultimately to ourselves also. And so it's a, it's a unique model where, uh, where all of our costs are, are, are fixed from an operating cost and a capital cost perspective. So we take the cost risk out of a normal investment, but we deliver very profitable precious metals production to our shareholders. And, and the model of royalties and streaming companies kind of became much more prominent during the downturn a few years ago now. What place in the industry are you in now? Are companies still as, as eager to, to get finance through you now that they've got better access to, to debt markets and, and equity raisings? Well, to be honest, it works very well for us as a streaming company because as precious metal prices climb, there tends to be more sources of capital from the equity and the debt side, as you've said. But that's also not really the best time to be investing into uh, into uh, any commodity that's going through cycles. You don't want to be investing near the highs. Now, I don't think we're anywhere near the highs of gold and silver and precious metals as a whole. I think we're going to see much higher prices. And so we're still very active. But to be honest, it actually works very well for us. The uh, the most opportunities that we get in terms of uh, adding assets tends to be near the bottom of the commodity price cycle when there's little support for the industry. Well, that of course means that when we invest into uh, into mines, we um, we're investing at the right part of the commodity price cycle, and that's what's allowed us to deliver over a 20% after-tax return to our shareholders uh, to date. Is uh, is the fact that you know when when we see stronger prices and other sources of capital step up, it usually means uh, that prices are higher and, and that's not, not the best time to invest. And, uh, and we're definitely seeing, we've, we saw that back in the last bull cycle in 2010 to 2012. And, uh, and we're starting to see some more, you know, some more sources of capital come into play, but uh, still plenty of opportunities for us to continue adding. And the, and the context within all that is, you know, the first half this year, adjusted profit was doubled, operating cash flow almost double on the first half of last year. And with that, you've, you've cut net debt a bit. And this is probably the friendliest question I can, I can ask. What are you going to do with all that cash coming in? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and, and there is a lot of it. We, um, we are doing very well on that front. And so uh, 
the production actually looks very strong. And so, yeah, we do see some good, strong cash flows and, and continued. And the organic growth profile over the next few years is better than it's ever been. Uh, we see easily a 15 to 20% increase in production over the next few years. A lot of that is actually coming into play uh, just here in 2021 in the next year. But then major investments at, at a lot of our operations. So what do we do with this cash? The, uh, the first priority is, of course, uh, a portion of it, 30% of it, a minimum of 30% of it goes back to our shareholders. We do put a hard basement in, um, but because our our our, um, our dividend policy is such that a percentage of our cash flow goes back, our cash flow, of course, is directly related to that organic growth profile, but also to commodity prices. So we know that on a per share basis, there is upward pressure on our dividend. We will see an increase in, in our dividend over the next uh, couple of quarters, no doubt, just because of the higher commodity prices and the higher organic growth. So we're definitely seeing much stronger cash flows. But after that 30% goes back, uh, then we put whatever's left uh, either against the debt. My preference is, of course, to put it into the ground. But we are very selective about what we invest into. Our preference uh, is to focus on assets that are in the bottom half of the respective cost curves because that's where our partners will continue to reinvest into these mines to make them bigger and better. And, uh, and we want to make sure we, uh, we we're very selective on that front. If we don't find proper assets to invest into for, uh, for accretive prices to our shareholders, then, uh, then we pay off our debt. And, uh, and if, if we pay off the debt and start building up a bit of a war chest, uh, that's when we look at increasing the dividend from 30% of cash flow to perhaps 40% or 50%. So, you know, the, the ideal scenario for my eyes is continue reinvesting back into the ground and, and add more ounces to the, uh, to the vault that we have. But if, if that's not possible, then we uh, start returning more of it to our shareholders. Now, at the moment, you couldn't pick a much better portfolio than, than gold, you know, silver's doing well, palladium's doing even better. You know, you might just need some rhodium to, to you know, complete the set. But what, what happens when gold drops? Does the, does the dividend again then go with it? You talked about a, a floor to the, the payout then, but, but what does the business look like when we're not in this bull market? Yeah, the dividend is a sustainable dividend, which means that it does adjust with with respect to to cash flows. And so, uh, so you're right. In the event that uh, we see lower uh, gold prices, that would have downward pressure. Now, that would, in the near term, at least be offset by our organic uh, growth. Uh, we we do see a good strong production growth over the next while. And um, when I mention a floor, we do an annual floor every year. We won't let it drop below a certain point over the course of the year, but we uh, we reset that at the start of every year. And um, I, I just, uh, you know, everything I see in the, in the horizon here, I don't see any possible uh, uh, drop in the dividend. Uh, all I see is, uh, is, is very good upside. One thing you mentioned before was the risk level is, is, a, is a fair bit lower than a, an actual mining company. I think looking at the, the revenue, at least this year, there are still two dominant players. There's Solobo, which is a base metals mine that you take the precious metals stream from, and then Stillwater for palladium. And, and they, they were kind of the two dominant golden and palladium sources of income for you. It seems to me there's still a bit of operational risk because you're reliant on, on those operations for a fair bit of your, your cash flow or, or revenue. Well, again, going back to the fact that we're very selective about what we invest into, we only invest into assets that are in the bottom half of the respective cost curve. And in fact, with 20 mines delivering us metal right now, 88% of our production comes from the bottom half of the respective cost curve. So that's to say that that Slobo, a copper mine, it's actually a first quartile. It's one of the most profitable copper mines in the world. And of course, we get substantive gold production as a byproduct from this copper mine. 
And so, you know, what we what we do know is that these mines are very profitable, not only for us, but for our partners. And so if there's ever a challenge or a hiccup or a, or, or, you know, something like a pandemic, um, <laughs> for example, um, we, we know that there's a strong incentive from our partners perspective and from all the other stakeholders that are the communities and the and the countries that these mines are paying taxes into. There's a very strong incentive to get these mines up and running and to keep them up and running. And in fact, there's a very strong incentive to expand these. And it's the first place that exploration dollars get spent. And so it's a it's a very important aspect of of, of why we think we're uh, we're so well positioned. I, I would argue that our portfolio of investments is probably one of the best in the entire precious metal space is because we've had such a focus on profitability and high operating margins. So we know that all stakeholders are very motivated to keep these assets uh, producing and, in fact, to continue reinvesting into them, make them even better and bigger. It's an interesting point. I think Ivan Glasenberg said in the same FT event that you, you spoke at that miners were often guilty of, of plunging too much money in, into trying to expand and, and keeping production flat or even increasing even though their, their reserves are, are depleting. How do you find a balance there between almost overspending at these projects to, to try and get more ounces out of the ground and oh, I, w- I would say a, a good use of that, that cash flow? I think Glasenberg's problem was that often miners had looked to just keeping the numbers right instead of good business practice. Well, I, I think the mining industry has to be disciplined in terms of uh, demanding a, a, a return on capital that's invested. Um, and making sure that these assets do deliver strong return on on that invested capital on a go forward basis. As long as they do that, they will move forward successfully. The streaming business model is perfect for that. Um, streaming always takes a good mine and makes it a great mine. And that's to say that that the amount of capital that we contribute at the development stage or even the expansion stage of a project is always substantially more than the portion of the revenue that we take away from the mine. And what that means is that the return on capital for these assets is dramatically improved. And, and that's what has to happen is the mining industries, and Ivan, Ivan knows this, the, the mining industry as a whole has to be uh, even more disciplined than it has been in the past in terms of ensuring that there's a strong return on that invested capital and, and streaming is an excellent way to uh, move down that path. Now, I think streaming is a, is a really well-known model in in North America, um, particularly in Canada, where you're from. Now, in London, people are a bit less familiar with it. We've got Anglo-Pacific, obviously. It's spread across a, a few more a few more materials. Why do you think it hasn't had that greater impact of streaming and, and royalties companies? Why, why do you think they haven't had that greater impact in London and, and even in Australia? Why has it been so North America-focused um, so far? Well, Australia um, has has the benefit of some some pretty heavy restrictions in terms of a lot of the pension fund capital down there. Uh, there um, there's there's a lot of requirements to reinvest back into Australia, and so I think Australia has always suffered from a, a, a unnatural abundance of capital just because of the restrictions of a lot of that money being moving out. And so you know that abundance of capital has made it a little bit less competitive on that front, but. But there has been streams in Australia, uh, nothing of, of substance and significance. Wheaton, we created the streaming model uh, 16 years ago when we originally created this company. And I was part of that team. And I can tell you that for the first seven or eight years, people just didn't understand the model. But it is uh, the simplicity itself is very confusing. It's really we purchase the rights to a percentage of metal 
And, uh, and as that metal gets delivered to us, we pay a fixed production payment. Uh, it's sometimes it's fixed by margin, uh, more recently fixed by margin, but generally it's fixed by uh, dollars per ounce. And, uh, and it is such a simple model. It, I can, I can assure you that every mining company has, uh, taken advantage of it. In fact, you know, we've spent, uh, um, um, Glencore, which is, uh, which is of course, or one of the larger mining companies on the London Stock Exchange, uh, we have two agreements with Glencore. So, so the CFOs of, of the mining companies around the world have definitely realized the benefits of streaming uh, as a source of capital. And I, I think it's more a matter of expanding that market to the investor uh, base. And that's one of the reasons why we, we have undertaken this listing on the London Stock Exchange is we just feel that our product has not been offered to the UK market in the past, not, not via the London Stock Exchange at the very least. We have some very significant London-based investors already that have done very well with us uh, uh, as, as shareholders. And, uh, but we, we feel that there's a real opportunity to, to deliver a unique new product to the London Stock Exchange. And we're very excited about, uh, about this opportunity. Sure. And I can go a bit wider again. You talked about Glencore just there, and that, that makes me think of another side of investing that is becoming more and more prominent. And, you know, you, well, you might not be sick of it yet, but uh, the listeners and, and readers of the IC might be um, a bit sick of ESG as a, as a catch-all for doing things that aren't necessarily operational, but doing those things in a, in a better way. Mining has had its list of failures in this, in this space. I could go on for, for hours, but you've got deals with, with Vale and Glencore, um, and they're two companies that have had, you know, you could say governance and environmental failings in, in Vale's case specifically. But how do you work with these companies when investors have got a real interest in ESG investing at the moment? And how do you work with people you're considering backing through, through a royalty or stream purchase? If they're perhaps not up to scratch, but the the mine looks looks good for you. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it, it's a real opportunity for us actually uh, from from our perspective because we have long been committed to stronger social license and stronger ESG practices, and in fact are the first of the streaming slash royalty companies to actually contribute to the communities uh, around the mine sites where we deliver metal. Even though we don't operate, what we do is we uh, we match funding uh, in parallel with our operating partners to expand their capacity to deliver back sustainable benefits to the communities and the neighbors that we have around these mine sites. And it's the right thing to do. And, and gradually, we're starting to see some of the other streamers and royalties start to explore it, but uh, nowhere near as advanced as what they should be. Um, it does give us a great opportunity, though, to, to become a bit of a change agent and to try and help companies improve on their on their ESG practices. You know, first off, whenever we're looking at a new opportunity, we have a dedicated uh, team that focuses on social license and, and, and ensuring that best practices are being used. And uh, but it doesn't scare us away. I don't think it works in this industry to, to back away from 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 these opportunities. What we have to do is look for ways to improve and to be, as I, as I said earlier on, to be change agents. To, to deliver better. And one of the benefits that we have as a streaming company is that we see a lot of operations around the world. And, and so we get a really good idea of what best practices are. And, and, and we become a, a means of cross-pollinization in terms of the approach taken from different mind sites in terms of working to deliver those, those benefits and, 
and uh, to all the stakeholders that are involved. And so, so, you know, we look at it as an opportunity. You know, the mining industry and the resource industry as a whole has a very unique advantage in the sense that we can dramatically improve the standard of living in very rural locations. There's not many industries that can actually deliver that. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, a, an opportunity that we need to seize and we need to, to, to highlight and make sure that people understand that, that the industry as a whole, we're, we're, um, you know, we're constantly focused on trying to improve. And uh, we at Wheaton, of course, are leaders in the space, especially from the streaming and royalty space, in the sense that this is one of the, this is one of the value adds that we deliver to our operating partners post the contract being signed, is, is constantly looking for ways to help them expand and strengthen their own social license on a go-forward basis, something that's incredibly important. Uh, it's a requirement for successful business, and, uh, and, uh, and we're there. I talk a fair bit to um, institutions who, who have, you know, sizable ESG teams and they'll go and talk to a company and say, you know, we like what you're doing here, here, here. This needs to change. If you have prospective investors or even current investors who, who have an interest in, in making sure that, you know, that their holdings are doing the right thing, do they come to you and say at each operation that you have a, an interest in, we would like things to be to be perfect? Or is it more about they want you to just make sure you, you know what you're getting, if that makes sense. Because um, that's a lot of responsibility if, if, if you, you need to be responsible for, you know, every, every royalty or stream that, that you hold. Well, I mean, yeah, I think what we have to recognize is a streaming model is, is a model where we don't actually have operational control. We leave control. One of the attractions from the operator's perspective is that uh, we are a, um, a so-called silent partner. Although we are not a silent partner, we're always striving to, to find ways to help our partners become stronger. And so, so uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call us exactly a silent partner, but, um, you know, we have a, a supplier code of conduct that, uh, that we expect all of our partners to sort of maintain. Um, we're active uh, members of, of the World Gold Council. And so, uh, you know, um, founding signees of the responsible gold mining principles. And we expect that our partners that in, in the gold mining industry uh, are also part of that. Uh, but even in the base metal space, uh, you know, we're, we've signed on to the UN Global Compact and, and, and strive to do our best on that front. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, we've, we've got a code of contact. It even gets to the point where when we've signed new contracts, we've uh, apportioned a part of that payment to, to make improvements. Uh, Sabanye Stillwater, when we did the Stillwater agreement, uh, you know, Sabanye's uh, had the misfortune of some, some, some very uh, tough um, accidents, some, some fatalities at some of their operations in South Africa. And so we, uh, we got a commitment from Sabanye to take a portion of the uh, stream that we completed on the Stillwater mine, which is in Montana, mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, a, a portion of those funds went towards improving safety performance in South Africa. And uh, we funded a, a research program uh, at Witzwater and the University to improve safety performance, knowing that, that the industry as a whole, we have a responsibility to the industry as a whole. And even though we're not getting any direct metal out of South African operations with Sabanye, um, it was the right thing to do. And, uh, and so, you know, these are the ways that we can make a difference and, and we, uh, and, and we always strive to. And I think on a, on a more operational level, how are you, how are you going around and, and kicking the tires of, of operations at the moment? Yeah, it's challenging in a in a pandemic world where travel restrictions are pretty uh, pretty rigid. Um, you know the um, uh, the 
in today's world, pretty well 100% of the due diligence actually takes place digitally. And there's all sorts of ways to test the data sets to ensure that you're dealing with a, you know, a valid database, et cetera, and stuff like that. And really what I would say a site visit comes down to is, is confirmation of, of the conclusions that you've achieved through your digital due diligence. Uh, but that confirmation is important. It's important to me. The, the older I get, the more respect I have for my own intuition in terms of how, how assets feel. And so I definitely like getting onto these projects. Um, you know, jurisdictions are different. Restrictions are different. Here in Canada, we're allowed to travel freely within Canada. We have visited sites here in Canada during this pandemic. But when it comes to international travel, there's, there's an extra cost, an extra challenge associated to it. Firstly, uh, upon returning to Canada from anywhere international right now, uh, there's a two-week quarantine expected of everyone that's coming back into Canada. Uh, that just means that uh, you know our teams, whenever they conduct a, a visit, will will have to uh, work from home for two weeks or work from wherever they quarantine themselves for a two-week period. Um, you know that that being said, one of the other challenges that we're having is that the mining industry as a whole, in terms of limiting the risk, has really cut back. Um, on having transient visitors at any mine sites. It's one of the best ways to control risk is to limit the transient uh, visitors that are coming through. And so, you know, we really have to have respect for, for that. And, and, uh, and you know, it, it does mean that our existing operations where we traditionally visit on at least an annual basis, we're now having to get really good at virtual tours and using drone flyer or flyovers to get comfortable with how, how projects are processing or progressing and how mines are, are doing. Um, so it's got challenges, but they're challenges that aren't unsurmountable. And so we'll find a way to get it done. We're very active on the corporate development front and see plenty of opportunities to uh, continue pushing capital back into the ground and, and acquiring good solid ounces and uh, hopeful that we can continue uh, adding a few more. I can imagine a few mine managers are pleased that busloads of analysts and journalists aren't turning up anymore. So I guess there's that, 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 that positive for them. Well, when I was in the mining industry, when I when I was the mine manager at several mines, I always enjoyed the uh, the freshness of having visitors like that. <laughs> so, there is one kind of fact that I wanted to check with you. I read last month that you had forty employees, a twenty twenty two twenty three billion at times company with forty employees. Is that is that right? You have it. Uh, someone someone told me once that we're. We're the highest market cap per employer, one of the highest market cap per employees of any company in the New York Stock Exchange. And so uh, I'm sure we'll probably fall into a similar category in the London Stock Exchange once we get listed there. No doubt, no doubt. We do have a lot of contractors here, but you know, I, I think you'll still get there. Um, <laughs> anything else you wanted to mention while you're on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to coming onto the London Stock Exchange. I can tell you that the, uh, the interest level and the appetite <laughs> We now have, I'm, I'm here in Vancouver, Canada, which is eight hours away from, uh, from London, uh, eight time zones away. Uh, we now have a London shift here in, in the office. I've, for the last two weeks, I've been in the office every morning at 5 a.m. Uh, I'm talking to London investors, uh, fund managers. Uh, there has been incredible interest. I'm, I'm looking forward uh, very much to getting listed on the London Stock Exchange and delivering a new product and, uh, and a product that I think will be very well received in, in London in terms of uh, low risk but high upside precious metals investing. Great, Randy. Well, thanks very much for your time. Alex, always a pleasure. Look forward to the next one. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right <laughs> Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 